think the, the most part I'm excited is like defensive system. See this is Yusef Nurkic. He's an NBA player. And he just got traded recently to a new team, the Phoenix Suns. So during the team's media day earlier this week, he got the standard basketball questions, but local reporters also sprinkled in some more personal stuff. TV, we, I want to ask a fun question just to get to know you a little bit. In your For example, this reporter asked him a two-part question. Which American city reminds you of home? And what is something about Americans you still don't understand? And his answer to the second part of that really turned heads. On the flip side, your second question is tricky because they still don't know why everybody have, have so many guns. Like, I feel like that's kind of, you know, still don't understand to this day um, because I feel the kids um, should be safer in our schools. And, you know, I think See, Nurkic was born in Bosnia and Herzegovina in Eastern Europe. But despite playing in America for nearly a decade, he still hasn't gotten used to the massive number of guns in this country that lead to so many deaths of children. This small Texas community is shattered. 19 children and two adults are dead. The community of Buffalo, New York, reeling after the deadliest mass shooting in the U.S. since the start of the year, took the lives of 10 people at a Topps Friendly Markets on Saturday. Another devastating school shooting. Three students and three adult victims, they are dead today. It's easy to become numb to the constant barrage of gun violence in this country. But what is the true cost of all that carnage? My colleagues at CNN Digital are attempting to answer that question. All throughout the month of October, they are publishing profiles of the youngest victims of gun violence, the names we usually don't talk about, and what they left behind. Today, CNN's Alicia Ibrahimji tells me about one of them. From CNN, this is One Thing. I'm David Ryan. Alicia, I realize it's not breaking news to say that America has a problem with gun violence. It's been that way for a really long time. But what does the data say about just how bad it's gotten? Well, children are more likely to be killed by a gun than in a car accident. Wow. It's really interesting. Like, if we just pause and just try to wrap our minds around that, more likely to be killed by a gun than in a car accident. This year alone, more than 1,250 children and teens have been killed by a gun. And that's data from the Gun Violence Archive. Mm. I think uh, what goes unsaid a lot of the time is, you know, the loss of a child is tragic nonetheless. But the impact that that gun violence ends up having and leaving families and communities just really left to pick up the pieces. So, you know, CNN Digital, we, we recognize that and we wanted to take a closer look at the children who've been lost, you know, talk about what they left behind. And it's really important to point out that these are names you've probably never heard of. Um, they didn't make any major news, but these are still families forced to mourn like all that could have been for their children. And we really wanted to drive home the impact that these kids have had on their communities uh, learn who they were, and more importantly, how they're being remembered after you know being caught up in the crosshairs of gunfire, be it intentionally or unintentionally. So I just wanted to take a quick second and kind of run through some of the names, if that's okay. Yeah. You know, you're going to learn about King. 
He's a Georgia nine-year-old who slept with Lilo and Stitch bed covers and a Space Jam blanket until he was killed by another kid who was handling an unsecured gun. You're going to hear about Frankie, a 10-year-old from California who's playing with his cousins when he was killed in a drive-by. Mm-hmm. You'll learn more about Isaiah, a Maryland 16-year-old empath with a musician's ear who was gunned down near his high school. And there's Alex, a 16-year-old in Nashville who was shot in the back of the head while driving and stopping at a gas station for just a chocolate bar and some Gatorade. And then that brings me to Anthony Alexander Jr., whose family actually invited me to their home just outside of Philadelphia to learn more about their son after he was shot at a gathering. So tell me about this family. We know his spirit is still in his house. We feel it all the time. Yeah. So I sat down with Anthony Alexander Sr. and Ava Alexander, which is Anthony Jr.'s stepmom, in their living room. And they they told me a lot about Anthony Jr. I noticed you guys are wearing train pendants. Yeah, train pendant because he loved trains. He loved trains. Even when his dad, Anthony Sr., was tired from a really long day of work, he said he would take Anthony Jr. to ride on the transit, and it sort of became their thing. That's what he loved. And then then we started doing the regional rail. rail. Had to be we, train. Yes, indeed. Just riding it. And we would ride the regional rail, and he would sit there with the conductor, <laughs> riding it. He made front. friends easily. Yes, indeed. Anthony Jr., he was very talkative. He would always fill the empty space with conversation. He hated awkward silences. He would talk to me from the time he got in the car from Virginia all the way till we pulled up in front of that house. It was just like everything <laughs> on his mind. So- he had a big family. He was the youngest of seven siblings. And in talking with some of them, he had such a close bond with each and every one. For him, what else? Apple pie. He would yeah. eat a whole, it got so bad on Thanksgiving that I had to make maybe three because one was entirely Lou Anthony's. Kids be so angry. They, did he get to that pie again? You know, whether it was staying up late on New Year's Eve or Thanksgiving, where everybody would gather around some really good food, he was always making his family laugh. Yeah. Just gotten his permit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the license was, he already had a car. I already had a car for him. He had a car actually reserved for him on his 18th birthday, but unfortunately, he never got there. So can you tell me how he died? Yeah. So it was January of this year. He had gone to a gathering. His parents say that he was going to watch a Philadelphia Eagles playoff watch party. We learned about the shooting from the police who came to the door maybe 11 o'clock that night. The shooter told police the gun accidentally went off while it was being passed around during an Instagram live stream. And we were still trying to piece together what had actually happened. We didn't know who had done the shooting. In talking to Anthony Jr.'s parents, They say they don't believe any such live stream encounter ever happened. The shooter was taken into custody, so they definitely know who shot their son. They don't know why. It's just senseless. They don't have any answers. And that's something we talked a lot about while I was at their home. They realize they may never get those answers as to why, but bottom line, his family says it's his life is a life unfinished. And we saw that that is a theme that runs deep through all of these victims' families that we spoke to. A life unfinished. I mean, that's just like a really powerful way to think about it, especially with somebody so 
bright and vibrant like you described. So what does a life on finish actually look like for the Alexanders now? Yeah, well, as I mentioned, the car, it's still sitting in grandma's driveway. Hmm. And that was a really special thing for the family because Anthony Sr., he did that for all of his children. He would get a car, you know, when they were ready to drive. So he tells me he hasn't quite figured out what to do with that car, but that's, you know, a physical representation of that life unfinished. Anthony Jr., he had so many goals that he won't accomplish. He was thinking about serving in the military, um, following one of his older sister's footsteps, the family tells me. When I asked his parents what they think he could have become, they say the possibilities are truly endless because this is a kid that just had a lot of interests. Now they're working to establish a foundation in his name and revamp a community center in the area in his name as well. Wow. So even though he physically isn't here, they're still carrying on the legacy of his life. See, it's a life unfinished and his legacy is not done yet. It is not done. It is not done. When it comes to solutions for the gun violence problem in America, I feel like so much of the conversation gets, you know, kind of sanded down, right, and and predictable. You can almost imagine how it's going to go before a shooting even happens, which is obviously horrible. But for parents like the Alexanders, I imagine the feelings and conversations around this issue are really sharp and specific. So what do they want to see done here at a broader level? It's a good question. And, you know, justice, it really does look different for everybody. Every family typically has a different idea of what that closure looks like. But for the Alexanders, they they want communities to better understand their youth. Yes. Teenagers that's running around here committing all these crimes for no reason at all. Why are you so angry is the question. Reckless, unthinking. My question would be, why would you think that, that that's something appropriate to do with a weapon? Why? What is going through your head? Ultimately, they want, like many families, stronger policy that prevents these kids from getting guns in their hands. And we feel that the parents should be held responsible. Whoever's gun that weapon is, charge the parents. And they definitely don't want what happened to their son to happen to another child. So... Truly, any opportunity they get to talk about Anthony Jr. and the positive difference he made while he was alive, they certainly do. You know, he was a peacemaker who fostered a special relationship with everybody he came in contact with, even strangers. Last month, a 16-year-old became a hero when he rushed to help three kids who fell through an icy pond. In February 2022, he actually helped rescue three kids from an icy pond in Upper Darby, Pennsylvania. Soft-spoken as ever. Anthony reacted to the praise with what's become his signature humble attitude. I feel good. I just feel good. Getting a little overwhelmed? Yeah, a little bit. His parents were, as you can imagine. And for that, he was named a Congressional Medal of Honor Society Young Hero Awardee for 2023 for his bravery that day. And that's an accomplishment Ava and Anthony Sr., they call a true testament to his caring nature. Like, that's the kind of guy he was. He would do that, not even think twice. He made a difference. You know, we want he, the message to be that he, Anthony, he, he, like an everyday kid, is a hero. An everyday kid who can communicate with their mouth and not their fists or a, a weapon. A, a weapon or something. 
I'm struck by what you say that they really want communities to better understand teenagers and, and why they're so angry. Because I feel like I don't hear that a lot from people when they talk about the gun violence problem. They often talk about the guns themselves, which are obviously a huge issue. But it seems like the Alexanders, they, they think there's like a, a more of a mindset thing at play here. Yeah, absolutely. Anthony Sr., that's really something that he talked about a lot. We might have uh, a lot of uh, gun violence in the United States right now, but this one right here, Anthony, is going to help curb some of this gun violence. We're going to find out why these teenagers are so angry. For what reason? What reason are you angry? He realizes that he may not ever have a concrete answer as to what's going on inside these children's heads. But with that community center, they hope that they provide a place for kids to come and just be kids. And this is what the foundation is about. We're going to find your inner spirit on what you are capable of doing. Instead of taking a negative path, it's easier to take a positive Positive path. path. You know, play sports and interact with each other and just have a lot of those positive interactions. And if they need support, uh, be it through a mentor or just blowing off some steam by playing basketball, they have a space to do that. So we kind of feel him saying there's more we can do. It's a constant reminder that the work, the job isn't done yet. Yes. So, Alicia, what can listeners do, like the average person who is thinking about this problem maybe even wondering about their own kids and how to keep them safe? Because it feels like any game-changing solutions, at least on the national level, are just a pipe dream thanks to the political climate out there. Yeah. So I want to talk about a few points that um, an Everytown representative, senior director of research, Sarah Bird-Sharp, shared with us. Uh, she talks about like creating safe environments in the physical sense, like we talked about with the community center. And then also, if your child's going to go to somebody's house for a play date, asking if there's any guns in the house, you know, talking about how the adults store them, and really kind of opening up that conversation in a way that you would say your child has a peanut allergy. You would ask, you know, before they go to somebody's house and make sure that, you know, that's known. Oh, so, so the idea that- is like that could be part of a a checklist for parents before they send their kids off to somebody's house to ask about the gun situation in somebody's house. I feel like that's not a common thing at this point. Yeah, I think it sounds really taboo to call up another parent, you know, before your kid's going over for a play date and say, hey, do you have any guns in the house? You know, how do you store those guns if you do? And I really think that's, you know, one of the key things here and some of this prevention is taking away that taboo and just opening up the floor to have those really raw and honest conversations so that everybody's kind of aware of the situation they're getting into. All right, things can get political quick when you have a conversation like that. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think we're used to having those conversations, but if the uncomfortableness from having that conversation saves a life, then I think it's worth it. Well, it's great tips and great reporting as well. Alicia, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. One Thing is a production of CNN Audio. This episode was produced by Paolo Ortiz and me, David Rind. 
Matt Dempsey is our production manager. Fez Jamil is our senior producer. Greg Peppers is our supervising producer. And Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of CNN Audio. Special thanks this week to Haley Thomas, Emily Smith, and Martin Gualando. We'll be back next Sunday. Talk to you then.